welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. This is the podcast where we talk about the ancient world, classical education, middle ages quite a bit, and just classical pedagogy. Mm -hmm. How do you teach classically? Well, we are three dudes who do this for a living. Uh, We teach at a school called Veritas Academy in sunny Austin, Texas, in the middle of beautiful hill country. And I am joined here, my name is Graham Donaldson, and I am joined here today with AJ Hannenberg. That's this guy. And Thomas Magby. Hello. And we are not live in front no. of the studio audience. We are tucked away in a tiny closet. No, we're not. <laughs> Wait, what? We are no, this is a nice room. It's this nice. Is, and we're on sure. our new campus now. Mm-hmm. We are on our really beautiful nice. new campus. Yep. There are still boxes everywhere. It's got that new school smell. <laughs> um, and what, what does um, that smell smell like? Well, this particular room smells like rich walnut because we're sitting at a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful table, table made yeah. out of walnut wood, and yeah. it and it uh, makes that room uh, smell really nice. I feel like it smells like caulk and spackle. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's like, true. That's the yeah. new construction mm-hmm. smell. It's just dust. lots of glue and dust. Yep. Yeah. Um, but today, Paint. so yeah. uh, last week, if you listened to our podcast, we started talking about a series of books or series of lectures that C.S. Lewis did um, during the war, I think. Yeah. And uh, uh, three lectures um, uh, put together, bound together in a book that you can buy called The Abolition of Man. So if you have not listened, if this is the first time you are listening to classical stuff you should know, first welcome. of all, welcome. Yeah. Second of all, go back to the. L- you got to pay your dues. You yeah. can't just oh, okay. listen. No, I'm just kidding. Does, um, you, are you sending them back to the first episode? You have I'm to listen to say, all 52 if you, yes, episodes. If you, if you yeah. were, this is your first episode, you got to go back to the tripartite soul. All the way down, <laughs> just keep scrolling to number one. Yeah. And buckle up for some awkwardness, because those first <laughs> episodes were kind of rough. No, if this is your first time, go back and listen to the Abolition of Man uh, podcast, the first one that we did last week, because we're going to be building off the ideas there, and we're sort of assuming that listeners... Are familiar with the stuff we talked about in that first episode because these are built these these this one and then the one after the one after this are going to be building on the argument that we laid in the first episode. Um, do we want to maybe just in like a couple of sentences really briefly say what were some of the conclusions or the things that we were talking about in that first episode? Because if you if you listen but it's been a while, maybe uh, you you need you need your brain to be refreshed. It was it centered around a. A really good book. An English text called, yeah. he, he called The Green Book by two fellas he was unwilling to name called Gaius and Titius. And they talked, he, he essentially highlighted an instance where they kind of debunk a traditional value where one of the characters looks at a waterfall and says, that's magnificent. And Gaius and Titius say, well, he was just having magnificent feelings. He was talking about how he feels about the waterfall, not that there is any objective value or true reaction you should have to a waterfall. And so he was kind of talking about how in traditional education, the more we do that, the more we kind of debunk traditional values and continue, continuously debunk things, we eventually get down to nothing. We like carve the values out of kids and then we're like, now go and be heroic, mm-hmm. essentially. And then we're surprised when they're not heroic. Yeah, yeah. and we're, we're completely dumbfounded when that happens. Yeah, so... Um and he said that maybe guys and Titius aren't doing this on purpose. It just so happens that they are... It's easier than actually teaching writing. Yeah. It's easier to say that when, you, when, when your mom tells you you need to be brave, um, really what she's saying is not really anything. Um, it's like if you... Or it's, not, it's just a feeling that you should have. Now, it, it's... And when you say it's just a X, all the students are going to dismiss it as like, oh, okay, well, I don't really need to worry about it. It's a lot harder to actually get students to value bravery and to uh, instill upon them the the virtues that have been the cornerstone of humanity for as long as we've existed. It's a lot harder to do that than it is to get students to be sort of cynical and analytic about it and to quote unquote, yeah, debunk or see through everything. Yeah. And sure, there are some bad passages that don't do a good job of evoking the true value of bravery or visiting a historical mm-hmm. place. And they're worth a little bit of cynicism or debunking, but they're good passages that do the opposite, that that actually teach those virtues. Yeah, and that actually evoke the feeling yeah. of stepping onto the field at Gettysburg. Yeah, right. All right, so then uh, uh, C.S. Lewis continues on in the second essay, which I, if I remember correctly, is called The Way. And Hanneberg, you are going to show us the way. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do my best. This, <laughs> I don't know, he really kind of like ram- ramps it, it up well, here I was going to say, the there's so much one. confidence in that. Uh, I'm going to really yeah. try my best. So he... He kind of jumps from the previous chapter and then goes to further establish his notion that there is a thing he calls the Tao, which is 
understood by most religions to kind of be like the way that men should function in society, right? That bravery is good, that kindness is good, that charity, all of these things are good. And if, I mean, there are the occasional wayward doctrines trying to say charity is not good, but they have to, like the burden is upon them to prove it, right? Man, since time immemorial, has held a certain set of values and that Gaius and Titius in their green book, they're continuously trying to debunk these values and show that they're silly. And I would say that in modern times, it's not a single textbook that's doing this, but it is relativism as a whole, right? Um, touting the value of tolerance says we cannot say any one thing is better than any other thing. What's true for you is true for me. What's true for, sorry, what's true for you is true for you. Mm-hmm. What's true for me is true, true for me. me. And we have to sort of let those things go. And there is one value and that is tolerance, rights and tolerance, yeah. right? And there's probably an anthropological argument there as well saying like human beings do not come in stamped upon their souls uh, a um, an ability to like a moral compass like the ability to interact with this overarching ethic and morality but human beings are these maybe maybe it's human beings are blank slates they come in and they um, everything that they think is is right or wrong or up or down about their society is completely formed upon them by the society around them um, as opposed to human beings are conforming or not conforming to this, this, this objective morality. Or he, he gives it a couple of names. The Tao is what he calls it. He says other people, you know, would call it as um, uh, first principles or natural theology yep. or any of yep. those kinds of those uh, kind of knowing those names that we've had for them. He does talk about that, and you can still maintain a tabula rasa doctrine about humanity that we do come out blank slates and that all of these things are impressed upon us. <clears throat> but so is math. <laughs> And math is objective, yeah. right? Just because I learned from a teacher that two plus two equals four doesn't mean that it's wrong mm-hmm. or that that impression isn't actually factual. And he would, I think Lewis would say the same thing about our morals, right? An unformed person or a person who is taught wrong morals has been taught the wrong thing, right? Yep. If they were taught to love mutilating their neighbor or their children or something that is that is wrong that is not okay to teach a kid it's not an equally acceptable set of values Mm -hmm. right so he he kind of first outlines in in a footnote what Gaius and Titius actually approve of and disapprove of just to kind of show their outlines and then he points out that look their skepticism about about values is on the surface it is for use on other Other, people's values about the values current in their own set they are not nearly skeptical enough and this phenomenon is very usual a great many of those who debunk traditional or as they would say sentimental values have in the background value of in the background values of their own which they believe to be immune from the debunking process and this is true i would say of even great philosophers that do this sort of thing nietzsche himself right he said we have to revalue all values in that statement, he is saying like the value of freedom, right? Freedom is good. And then he even uses words like higher and better and more powerful. And he clearly thinks that there are some things that are good in and of themselves, right? Creativity, freedom, power. And if you are revaluing all values, you, you have to throw those out too completely. So he points out that Gaius and Titius have their own set of values first of all, right? That they still want kids to go, be willing to go and die for their country. Remember he's doing this during the war. And then he says, okay, well, what are they going to base theirs on? How are they going to found their principles? Yeah, if you don't want to say that these principles are some kind of, of thing in and of itself that all human beings have this um, relationship with, or if you, I like thinking about it as like the internal moral compass. Like the set of Tao is almost like this magnetized thing that we live in and under, and we have something inside of us that... that generally points us to the idea of right and wrong. Um, uh, and then the big question is, is this, is this purely just a biological, natural thing inside of us? And this is what this chapter is going to talk about with, with instinct, instinct and that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Or is there also, do we, we say that human beings have, this is what we would say, that human beings have a spiritual aspect to it. Though. Our souls are uh, the thing that is interacting with this objective morality of Tao. And this isn't even getting into the precepts of Christianity or theism. This is this is um, even um, seen and spoken about in religions that, um, well, especially like Eastern religions, Buddhism and Taoism, which is where you even got the word Tao from, um, which doesn't, which is a lot more na- of a natural religion than than sort of the theism of the West. Mm-hmm. But anyway, 
So he begins by saying, all right, if they're not going to get it from values somewhere, they got to they gotta try to base it in something. And the first crack might just be to say utility, right? What it's useful for. <clears throat> first of all, this is a quote, he might say that the real value lay in the utility of such sacrifice to the community, the sacrifice of his students dying for everyone. Good, he might say, means what is useful to the community. But of course, the death of the community is not useful to the community, only the death of some of its members. What is really meant is that the death of some men is useful to other men. That is very true. But on what ground are some men being asked to die for the benefit of others? Every appeal to pride, honor, shame, or love is excluded by hypothesis because those have been debunked. To use these would be to return to sentiment and the innovator's task is, having cut all that away, to explain to men in terms of pure reasoning why they will be well advised to die that others may live. He may say, unless some of us risk death, all of us are certain to die, but that will be true only in a limited number of cases. And even when it is true, it provokes a very reasonable counter question. Why should (laughs) I be the one one? to take that risk? Mm -hmm. And and then he points out that getting uh, imperatives from indicatives is impossible. Mm -hmm. To say... You ought. Yeah, to get a you should do the following from a this fact is true cannot be done, Mm -hmm. right? I can show you that eating vegetables will make you healthy, but I can never make the conclusion that you should eat vegetables unless you value health for its own sake, Mm -hmm. right? Being healthy is a good thing. Mm -hmm. You should be healthy. Vegetables make you healthy. Therefore, you should eat vegetables, right? There has to be a valuing something for its own sake for actions to to yeah to get any sort of imperative must come from a you should do the following Mm -hmm. right he can say some men dying will preserve the community right your death will make six other people live and i can ask if i am outside and say why why me why can't one of the other six dudes die and uh, furthermore what do i care for these people right can't i just take my family and leave or especially if i have no family because it's conceivable that i'm a young man um, and I don't have kids of my own, I could just say, well, nuts to your society and I'm, I'm leaving, right? Yeah. I don't have to do these things. I, I had a conversation with a friend about, and it was about this very thing, about the Tao. We were talking about relativism and how I'm a, a universalist when it comes to morals, right? I'm a moral universalist. And we, I, I sort of what based it. What does that mean, it, Amber? It means that I think at the core base of everything, there are a certain set of morals that don't change, okay. right? They can be lived out in society differently. I think we talked about this last podcast, that didn't we? Different yeah. cultures could value different areas of the morality, maybe even to the detriment of other areas. Yeah, they can become overblown and become focused on like the Romans valued imperialism. And not mercy. The Greeks (laughs) valued intelligent virtues, right? And not necessarily... Pragmatism. Yeah, pragmatism. Yeah. So they they can become overblown. I think the value of tolerance is overblown in ours. It's not that tolerance is bad. Mm -hmm. It's that it has become important to the detriment of other values. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think these values lay at the base of everything. Courage, charity, duty to one's kin kindness, you know, honor, all of these things do lay at the base, even if we can point at certain societies in the past and say that they have shifted a little bit, right? You might point at the Spartans. That's the usual Mm. argument that they disposed of crippled kids. And I would say that, well, there's a couple values at play there. And I, I, did we talk about this last podcast? No, not this. Not this. this? Okay. Well, there are other values at play. First, life in Greece was hard. And I mean, really hard. And so because they didn't have the same amenities, it's kind of a mercy to the child, right? Life would have been incredibly difficult living in Greece at that time. Second of all, it would have been a drain on the resources of the family. That family, instead of being at work in the fields and gaining, gr- getting grain for the rest of society, is now spending all of their time taking care of this child and not, and then they become a drain on the people around them, right? So it becomes a continuous drain on the community. And last, it means a weakening of their, for, you know, their army forces. Mm-hmm. So altogether, it's, it's trying to preserve other values, right? Community, strong, you know, strong nation, uh, working together. Like there's, there's other things at play there. It's mm-hmm. not just crippled kids are gross. And mm-hmm. some of them, someone can come in and look at, come into that and say, the, you know, the lack of care you have for crippled kids is a, uh, uh, is a deficiency in terms of your relationship to the subjective morality. And the Spartans can say, no, it isn't. And you can go back and forth and have this conversation. Yet, both and Spartans will say, no, it isn't because we need to keep the community strong because if we don't, X, Y, and Z. Both of those conversations are still happening within the Tao. What C.S. Lewis is talking about, if someone comes in and says, everything you guys are talking about is just your own 
opinions. Right? Everything right. you're just talking about has no basis for for any has no real undergirding support for it. And even I mean, so that kind of thing would put to death all conversation. You mm-hmm. could never say what you're doing is wrong to right. these kids. Mm-hmm. You could say that is a thing you are doing, right? It, it goes from the imperative mm-hmm. mood. You should do X to the indicative. To the indicative. You are I disposing of children. Yeah. I do not dispose of children. And they would get, go, great. Right. Good job, buddy. That's all we can, yeah. All that's we can that's do as is, far as mm-hmm. we can get. And so that's that was it would be the first attempt is to try to get it out of reason or logic in some way sort of pragmatism right yeah, necessity or uh, necessity be- benefit the second large attempt is to draw it from instinct yeah. right that that the reason we do all of these values is an instinct and therefore it can kind of be debunked a little bit uh so let me read a couple of quotes um in reality if we base it on instincts we have not advanced one step I will not insist on the point that instinct is a name for we know not what. To say that migratory birds find their way by instinct is only to say that we do not know how migratory birds find their way. For I think it is here being used in a fairly definite sense to mean an unreflective or spontaneous impulse widely felt by the members of a given species. So in what way does this help? Uh, It doesn't. Because we still judge between instincts. Right. First of all, some instincts we feel strongly, some we feel less strongly. And there's still the question, why should I obey my instincts, right? What thing is compelling me to do it? I might have the instinct to protect my nation, but it is merely an instinct and one that can be refused. Mm -hmm. We have to, like, if you then say you should obey your instinct, you are making a value judgment upon instinct. And so you are once again returning to the Tao and going to a should. It is good to do X because it is your instinct, right? And if if that's your value judgment is just saying our instincts are good, then we're basically saying anything that has succeeded, whatever has been victorious in our evolution is that thing which should be followed or followed, which kind of makes us servile in a way. To our instincts. Yeah, to our instincts. And if we're servile, I mean, he also makes the point in the chapter, like if if it's all just instinct, then why do we have to write books about it? Right. And if, if it's something we we're all going to be doing it. anyway, then why are we praising people for following their instincts better? Because it's or just making, yeah, making fun of them because they don't. Yeah. Uh, from the statement about psychological fact, I have an impulse to do so-and-so, we cannot by any ingenuity derive the practical principle, I ought to obey this impulse. So let me read you the section about judgment over the impulses. Telling us to obey instinct is like telling us to obey people. People say different things. So do instincts. Our instincts are at war. If it is held that the instinct for preserving the species should always be obeyed at the expense of other instincts, whence do we derive this rule of precedence? To listen to that instinct speaking in its own cause and deciding in its own favor would be rather simple-minded. Each instinct, if you listen to it, will claim to be gratified at the expense of all the rest. But the very act of listening to one rather than to others, we have already uh, prejudged the case. If we did not bring to the examination of our instincts a knowledge of their comparative dignity, we could never learn it from them. And that knowledge cannot itself be instinctive. The judge cannot be one of the parties judged. Or if he is, the decision is worthless, and there is no ground for placing the preservation of the species above self-preservation or sexual appetite. Right? Why should I die for my nation at the expense of my own instinct to go and be by myself, or really just to find more ladies to hang out with? Right. Right. So either the premises already concealed an imperative or the conclusion remains merely the indicative. So either we're still making a judgment about what we should do, or we are saying we have this instinct and we're stuck again, right? We, again, we cannot make the jump from pointing out a fact to we should do the following, unless at the very base of all is some set of values that we resort to. And this is a strange example, just that I should die for my country. Mm. Really, this, this goes across everything. If you are sitting in your car right now, disagreeing with the things that we're saying that there is a fundamental set of values, you are yourself within the Tao because you are admitting that some things are good in and of themselves. You should seek or tell the truth is, is the value you are adhering to, right? The minute you argue with me, mm. you admit I'm right. You cannot argue with me at all without admitting that I'm right. You cannot even critique this without admitting that it is right. Does that make sense? So Nietzsche, in trying to argue that no things are right and there is only power, I don't... He he admits that some things are worthwhile in and of themselves. The pursuit of truth, self-actualization, power, freedom. 
Like those things those are things good, are good. Yeah. right? That he does not set out to prove. Mm -hmm. He can show that men seek power, mm -hmm. right? But he can never say that we should do this. The moment he commands us to revalue all values, he is admitting that the values are right. My, or at least that they exist. That there are values. My guess with Lewis and his reading of Nietzsche, and I haven't read Nietzsche in a long time to see. My guess is Lewis is slightly misreading Nietzsche, whereas Lewis reads it and he thinks, oh, Nietzsche's trying to get outside the Tao. Whereas I think maybe a more charitable reading of Nietzsche is Nietzsche saying, we as a society, Judeo-Christian West, have focused on this area of the Tao, charity. And we need to focus on this area, power. Like, I don't know if Nietzsche is completely trying to create relativism that maybe uh, uh, yeah, I think you're now. right I don't think he would say it's pure relativism yeah. but he does say revalue all values which is yeah recreate a value system in our own image mm -hmm. using our own power right that is I think that is an accurate reading of Nietzsche yeah like I said I, I would need to go back and read it I think I think Lewis may be overstating Nietzsche's case a little bit here. he doesn't actually talk much about Nietzsche in here no. that's kind of my own mm -hmm. thing I was just curious if there's a way to get out so then how do you get out of the towel um by being, by just not having conversation. Like I just don't. And that's, and that's where relativism breaks down mm -hmm. to really adhere to it. You can't even have conversations about truth mm -hmm. because you're admitting that true is good in and of itself. Right. If that, if you're, if it's truly relative, everything is truly relative, then, and follow me here, this is weird, but everything becomes a self-report. Everything you say is a report about your own feelings about things. Mm -hmm. And in logic, we give all of those a truth value, right? A self-report, I feel hot, mm -hmm. right? We say that is true. And so if everything is true in the entire logic system, all of reason breaks down. You can't have conversations or mm -hmm. else you're all just sort of sitting around wheezing about how you feel. And you're not actually seeking truth because the minute you do, everything's not relative, right? Yeah. And that's why, I mean, the very statement, all moral value, like, all absolutes are relative is itself an absolute statement. That, yeah. yeah. It's an absolute statement that would then make itself relative. It's self-defeating the very time. Like as soon as you say but it, it so self-defeats. But why is relativism popular? Because it's easy. Um, oh. Because you don't have to be critical of your views. Yeah. Well, it does a few things for us. It means that true, there can be real disagreement between incredibly intelligent men because there are those really, really, really smart people who come to different conclusions on things seemingly logically. And so to the rest of us, we can just say, look, you're both right. And it makes mm. our job easier. It kind of takes all of that existential pressure off. It means that when I meet somebody in the subway and I have a real honest disagreement with them, I can say, look, man, we can still be friends. Those things don't matter. You can have your opinions. I can have mine. And I think we have moved what would have been called in previous eras social charity, right? Or mm. just kindness or yep. human decency mm -hmm. to a philosophical construct, which is incredibly dangerous. And this isn't, you know, the first time relativism popped up. This isn't a new thing. It's been around for ages and was tossed out the window every time because it was not self-coherent, right? It doesn't function as a philosophy. And I'm not saying that everybody is relativist. I'm saying that that, that element, that piece of philosophy kind of worms its way into everybody's ethos, even despite other philosophies. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I'm just, uh, I guess I'm wondering what we do with it. So then do I, do I disagree? Am I supposed to bring up all my disagreements? I don't know. No, you can still be that socially charitable. I can meet you and you can be like, I think racism's awesome. And I can say, well, it is okay that you think that I disagree. Like, let's have lunch and we can chat about it. Mm -hmm. I don't have to hate you no, instantly. No, I think you would say it's not okay that you think that. But yeah. We're going to talk about why I think it's not okay that you think that. But, it, but then the big question hurting But then other. the big question comes into like, yes, then what should society, what is society's role in like forcing or not enforcing people on what they, they believe? I think a lot of people look back at history and they say, shoot, I don't want to live in a strong arm society where everyone's belief needs to be the same through government because then we're going to have either Nazi Germany or we're going to have like Spanish Inquisition, Inquisition and right. people don't and I think people rightly look Worry back to a realm of strong ideological wars and don't want to return to that but I don't think that the solution to that is um, nothing meat matters right <laughs> like I don't think the solution right. to that is is all ideologies are equal under as, as long as the person sort of feels it has a con conviction to feeling it strongly. 
uh, because then yeah. you can also have you can't have a civilization. Um, the, the the first line of this chapter uh, sums it up great, where C.S. Lewis says the practical result of education in the spirit of the Green Book, this sort of relativism, must be the destruction of the society which accepts it. And I think I agree with them on that because you can't have you can't if you cannot argue. Or if you cannot agree on the axioms, if you cannot agree on the bedrock, you cannot build any kind of structure on that. If everything shifts, then you, you're never going to have... Or if everything's relative, then you're never going to be able to, to say what society ought to be working towards. And what's... And we see kind of like the, the erosion of moral principles and even logical principles taking its toll in even social media, right? companies will take a crack at being socially relevant and then miss the mark and like there'll be social uproar because really they don't know where the values lie. Hmm. If you remember the commercial where one of the Jenner came into a the Pepsi, protest one, and yeah. handed a Pepsi to somebody. <laughs> handed the Pepsi to the like... Right, they were trying to, to evoke... To like the, the hot va- cop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were trying to evoke the value of friendship, right? But yeah. they, because there are all these, you know, eroding values and no one really knows what's right and good. It was very tone deaf. Yeah, it ended up being tone deaf. But that's not the only instance. There have been several of these. Mm -hmm. And people end up fighting about them because really we can't agree on any set of values that is foundational. If if we have no set of values to go back to, it becomes a shouting match about the one thing we have not yet criticized, which typically is tolerance, rights, social justice. Or tolerance is the the value um, puffed up above all others. Yeah. Then then we've got a... um, um, then there's just sort of this war of, of who can be, who can signal their most tolerance the fastest is like the better, is like the virtuous person of society. Yeah. And to put it in Lewis's words, there has never been and never will be a radically new judgment of value in the history of the world. What purport to be new systems, as they now call them, ideologies, all consist of fragments from the Tao itself, arbitrarily wrenched from their context in the whole and then swollen to madness in their isolation, yet still owing to the Tao and to it alone such validity as they possess. If the pursuit of scientific knowledge is a real value, then so is conjugal fidelity. The human mind has no more power of inventing a new value than of imagining a new primary color, or indeed of inventing a new sun and a new sky for it to move in. So, the like the values of and I don't I don't want to be misunderstood here. Social justice is important. Tolerance is important. These things are all important, and doing them right is important. Caring for poor neighbors, uh, free speech alongside um, racial sensitivity, like all of these things are important. But when you swell one at the expense and even absence of the others, you hit problems, and that's what's going on. Is that no one really knows which value is prominent and how swollen it has become, and which ones to toss out and which ones to keep. And even more dangerous is that if this continues, mm-hmm. on what basis does our judicial system function? How can I, as a judge, look at you who has say, m- you know, molested a child, and say what you have done is wrong? And your retort would be, how that you say that I don't think it's wrong. On what philosophical basis do you tell me that my proclivities are any worse than yours? If you can only rely on the indicative, you have done something done horrible X. to a child, mm-hmm. you can never tell me a should, right? If there is no common value to go to. If this continues, eventually we will see the destruction of our whole ju- judicial system. And I think it's already beginning to erode in certain ways. Things that used to be crimes mm-hmm. are now illnesses, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that the criminal are not to be pitied, but maybe to be thought of in a different way, not necessarily just that they are sick. Because I think if you maintain the Tao, you would say, yes, they are sick, but in a way that they have misunderstood or misacted out on the Tao and they need rehabilitation there, not necessarily just Let me, medical okay. care. Okay. So um, I hear what you're saying. And I think law is a form of protection against that, but there are genuine disagreements between people. So like I'm, the first, when I hear you all say these things, the first thing I'm thinking of is politics. And so like, um, there's a, a bounce back and forth between what political party is in control of any given position or, you know, house of Senate or Supreme court or whatever. Um, but so at some level, at some level, there are disagreements between people that are you saying that they can all be reconciled? Is that what? I don't think so. Okay, so you meant you were just playing. Did you plan that? Maybe I read. I did read this chapter. So maybe. okay, I mean you're just playing right in my hands because Lewis addresses it directly after the quote I just read. Perfect. Does this mean then that no progress in our perceptions of value can ever take place? 
that we are bound down forever to an unchanging code given once and for all? And is it in any event possible to talk of obeying what I call the Tao? If we lump together as I have done the traditional moralities of East and West, the Christian, the pagan, and the Jew, shall we not find many contradictions and some absurdities? I admit all this. Some criticism, some removal of contradictions, even some real development is required. But there are two very different kinds of criticism. A theorist about language may approach his native tongue, as it were, from outside, regarding its genius as a thing that has no claim on him and advocating wholesale alterations of its idiom and spelling in the interests of commercial convenience or scientific accuracy. That is one thing. A great poet who has loved and been well-nurtured in his mother tongue may also make great alterations in it, but his changes of the language are made in the spirit of the language itself. He works from within. The language which suffers has also inspired the changes. That is a different thing, as different as the works of Shakespeare are from basic basic English. It is the difference between alteration from within and alteration from without, between the organic and the surgical. In the same way, the Tao admits development from within. There is a difference between a real moral advance and a mere innovation. From the Confucian, do not do to others what you would not like them to do to you, to the Christian, do as you would be done by, is a real advance. The morality of Nietzsche is a mere innovation. The first is an advance because no one who did not admit the validity of the old maxim could see reason for accepting the new one. And anyone who accepted the old would at once recognize the new as an extension of the same principle. If he rejected it, he would have to reject it as a superfluity. Superfluity? Super... I've never said that word out loud. Yeah, anyway. Something that went too far, not as something simply heterogeneous from his own ideas of value. But the Nietzschean ethic can be accepted only if we are ready to scrap traditional morals as a mere error, and then to put ourselves in a position where we can find no ground for any value judgments at all. It is the difference between a man who says, you like your vegetables moderately fresh, why not grow your own and have them perfectly fresh? And a man who says, throw away that loaf and try eating bricks and centipedes instead. So there can be disagreements, Mm -hmm. but those disagreements depend upon reliance on old values, right? If we are disagreeing about how racial tensions tensions should play play out on college campuses we there are some values at work there free speech kindness sensitivity charity to our fellow man right all of these things undergird the conversation itself if we are going to throw out those values we cannot have the conversation i think you're like the assumption there is that there is a conversation right because isn't the shouting match is easier um i don't know and even um I think it's Jonathan Haidt is the psychologist who's mm-hmm. doing this interesting research into how morality is that the heterodox Academy. Is that him? I, that that's a cool name. Uh, I don't know, but it's, so I'll tell you what he does. Right. And then you tell me if this is the thing you're thinking of. Um, he'll, uh, his research so, shows that people's um, political part, political affiliations and um, thoughts on certain moral issues are tied to their personality traits. Um, so I don't know, like that to say that people come to, their um, philosophical positions through argument or through conversation, I think that's something that almost needs to be argued because um, it's not entirely clear. Yeah, I don't know that, it, that it's true, yeah. but... If it's the same guy, he's the person who has uh, been... Uh, he, he writes for the Heterodox Academy. For those listeners that aren't familiar, the Heterodox Academy is a um, sort of a group put together by a number of... Uh, university professors on all realms of the political spectrum, left, right, center, all over the place, but who are concerned over um, traditionally the sort of progressive lefts uh, or even the cultural Marxism hold that a lot of of, um, uh, academic institutions have these days that are putting some uh, real screws to free speech. So the Heterodox Academy, if you're interested in that, in that, sphere if, if ever if you know you read those if when those stories come of like racist halloween costumes at yale and, and and conservative bloggers who aren't allowed to to speak on college campuses if that kind of realm of free speech and um um tolerance uh stories that you find really interesting the heterodox academy is a fantastic resource to start reading because they are um trying to carve out this space where um um where basically classical liberalism can continue. And I just checked, I just checked. He is a part of that. Yeah. One of the founders of mm-hmm. it. Um, I've so never just, heard of that before. Yeah. Cool. Just to go back to this idea of, um, can there be differences? Yeah. Like, so, um, there are different, you can have the conversation of like, what is, 
what do we as a nation want the nation's responsibility to uh, its citizenry to be? And so, you know, healthcare, right? Canada has socialized healthcare. The United States does not. Those are those are differences. And in the United States, we are advocating for sort of personal. If I if I follow the argument correctly, kind of um, um, self sufficiency and personal. Uh, not, um, taking care of yourself and not being told what to do, I guess, is in one sense. And then sure. in Canada, Wee-wee. it's, it's, yeah. it's Texas. Um, <laughs> we're going to raise your taxes so that everybody uh, can get access to health care because the idea of healthy citizenry is sort of better, even though everyone has to pay for it. And there are going to be injustices in pay. There are going to be those who are paying more and people who don't pay anything, but we're all getting this thing. Right. Those are different. Those are both arguments being made from within the Tao, uh, but by looking at sort of different areas of uh, or, or emphasizing these different things. So I think a lot of the political differences are, yeah, uh, where we're emphasizing one value, one virtue over over others. Um, um, but what Lewis is, is talking about is if we had a society that said. Um, not that there's no answer, but if we had a society that said, um, ultimately that quest doesn't really mean anything because everybody else is just kind of doing their own thing, then we're never going to have any sort of social currency. We can never even have conversations with one another. I think, so you're saying that there can be genuine differences within the Tao and that's okay. I'm wondering whether those differences can be reconciled or even if that's, if that's the goal. Um, yeah. You see revolu- You see these things happening. So in terms of, re- I don't know about reconciliation, but think of the Roman Empire that was, you know, uh, they, they definitely wanted unity, honor, and like industry and pragmatism. Those are sort of the values of the Roman Empire. And then you come, and then you have this weird little group that comes in that talks about the first shall be last and charity and self and sacrifice and love and laying down one's life for one's brother and coming in and those are in, uh, coming in and basically uh, uh, if, even like infecting the Roman Empire and turning and, and turning it into something completely different over a span of 500 years. So um, it must have been very destabil- destabilizing to be in the middle of that cultural conversation in 480, yep. right? When you, or even before their empire becomes Christian, where you have these really competing views, you probably felt like you had these irreconcilable differences, but you just sort of had these big tectonic plate shifts. So I think that's a really interesting conversation is to think what – it's harder to do when you're in it, but what are we in right now? And what forces are there that are percolating that are going to come and reform and, and, and really shake up the way, maybe the, the, the way that we sort of rotted in one direction. So it's, it's more like, I feel like it's, it's more like pendulum swings. Sure. Um, maybe to, to just to take a stab at trying to think about this. So we live in an information age where people can put out information um, as fast as they can type it and it can be disseminated to people at lightning speed, Right. Um, and we're starting hashtag to hashtag read our blog. Yeah, hashtag, hashtag classical <laughs> stuff. Um, and and we're beginning to wake up to the fact that holy crap, we can disseminate misinformation really fast. And if a story can get legs, people are going to believe it. And if enough people believe it, it can actually like exist, even though it was never based in fact. Um, fake news. Uh, we're we're beginning to realize this sort of power that comes, and also this real fear, like crap, we cannot hold people who lie accountable on the internet. Listener, you may have realized that you cannot hold liars accountable on the internet. So you can look at that. I wonder how long it took our listeners to realize (laughs) that. How can I hold this fellow (laughs) J.R. Froghead 29 accountable for the lies he has told? Whereas, you know, a hundred years ago, the orienting institutions that we had were newspapers, newspapers and another journalists. And um, those journalists held from what I understand, or at least what, how it was talked about, sort of this sacred duty to present facts to the populace. Um, and I, my gut instinct, I have not done any research and I have not looked, to the, looked into this, but people a lot smarter than me who I trust, who I've read, who have looked into this, are saying we don't really have the same kind of either belief uh, in, in the, in the, um, the, the necessity for, for integrity of one's yep. speech Think, think, for example, like 
um, if you are an investor and if you uh, uh, are following the, the market going up and down, at 9.30 in the morning, the market could be up 10 points and the headline could read, market buoyed up by, uh, you know, uh, by, by, no, market buoyed <laughs> up by government bonds um, uh, rises 10 points. And then by the afternoon, it could be down 10 points and the headline could very rapidly change to a market thro- uh, caught in the fears of, of rising bonds uh, drops 10, <laughs> 10 points, points right? right? And you're like, okay, whoever wrote those two articles is like talking out of both sides of their mouth. That man is, or woman, or whoever's writing that is never going to be held accountable for the fact that they are like basically saying baloney. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is true on, that is just something that we can do on the internet. So we, you could say maybe we have a deficiency in the idea of personal integrity and truth-telling as, as a nation. And we, we sort of ignored that area of the Tao because of whatever other reasons why. Ignoring that is politically expedient or financially lucrative or whatever, uh, uh, or we don't value it for whatever reason. We value um, speed of information as opposed to, to accuracy of information. But I think we do value it. I, I read an article recently about one of the people who makes fake news, and mm-hmm. he cooked up this article about all of these ballots that were for one of the candidates that were fake that they found in a warehouse, right? They were all punched, and it was this big scandal. He made it up yeah. 100% yeah. and made $40,000 on that article, and he was painted as a villain. Right. It was they were not lauding him for this behavior. And so just because we don't necessarily focus on these things, they are still values. They Uh, are just downplayed. I would argue that he just got caught and was bad at it. Like, I think this is far (laughs) more pervasive than some than just a troll. No, I think it's totally pervasive. But I think when we find these people that we paint them as villains is indicative that the Tao yet exists and that we still hold to it. And I would like to point out the 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 New York Times said that Hillary had 98 percent chance of winning and no one's held the New York Times accountable to that. But they weren't anyway. They weren't wrong on that one. And And also wasn't anyway. And Sorry. there's a lot of people who think the New York Times are total hogwash well, th- because yeah. of that. So hold on, hold on. I, mm-hmm. I'm like, this is aside. I want to point out the thing that we are arguing about. Yes. We are arguing about how the Tao plays out within society, yeah. not well, on the fundamental precepts of the Tao. Right. There is not a single person out there arguing that cowardice in and of itself is better than courage, right? And, and if there is, they are probably held to be ridiculous mm-hmm. because that is silly or arguing honestly that taking money from the poor is a more noble thing to do than giving to the poor. But I, I, right? I would, no one is arguing that because no, it's know. found, we cannot conceive of, because it would be so alien to us, a society which actually holds a different morality than the Tao itself. We can conceive of one in which the Tao plays out different, differently or has different effects upon the society, but we mm-hmm. cannot conceive of one because it is so foreign of one that actually has a different Tao, where it is right and good and noble to abuse your children. Yes. Where it is right and good and noble to not take care of your responsibilities, where it is it is absolutely laudable and they praise the man and have parades for the guy that ran away from the, from the fight and has got his family and neighbors murdered, right? That is so foreign to us, we cannot even conceive of it. So what we are arguing about is how the Tao plays out, not right. the Tao itself. Yeah. But that's, that, yes, that is. And so, but Thomas was, was asking the question, like, how do these things shift and how do we have disagreements? And I was, tr- I was trying to say, like, it is a worthwhile experiment to think about our place in time and say, what virtue from the Tao we are, uh, and one of the benefits of, of classical education is going back in history and looking, we, we can sort of easily find the blind spots of the Roman Empire because their, their story is played out. Right. And then we can ask ourselves a question like, what are the cultural blind spots that we have of human, of the Tao that we are not paying attention to? And I'm sort of positing that, that integrity of, of, of saying true things is, seems to be something that the internet has made harder to do and there and is harder to um, come down on people for. So that is a cultural blind spot. And it would not surprise me if sometime in the future, some kind of wave of a moral movement of we need to be in te- of like uh, of, of integrity in one speak speech is is overlauded to counteract how it's been uh, neglected at this point. Yeah. So that's sort of the idea where the, the pendulum also, swings back and forth. And sometimes those pendulum swings like come through revolution and like hard shifts in, in culture. And that is kind of a scary thought sometimes. Well, we also have to think people view the internet as sometimes as what it is, which mm-hmm. is not real life. And those same people that lie on the internet all the time are probably more truthful in person, right? Those values are still there. They just 
the internet gives us a chance for anonymity and to let the deepest, darkest parts of our mind run, run free. And I think as we let those things run free, we know that they're deep and dark and that's why we don't bring them into the everyday world. And I'm, I'm, I'm I think with you. you are far I, more charitable. I am much more uh, worried that I, people who spend their lives on the internet uh, can, have a harder there, time uh, uh, differentiating than real life, especially younger kids as, a, as huh. all their life. Is. And you're probably right, right? But that's, and that's a shame. But that just kind of like your notion of looking towards these great shifts in society brings up another problem if you don't ascribe to the town you're a more rel- exactly. relativist is that you cannot look at our society and say that any other si- society was more barbarous or worse, mm-hmm. right? We have no slavery, or at least we don't have any outright slavery like we used to. There is a lot of human trafficking and human slavery is still a problem. But it's not legal on the books. But it's not legal on the books. You could not look at another society and say that their practices of slavery are evil. You cannot say that our society is better because... They have different values than you. They are a different society and you have to let them have those values, right? The Tao allows for real moral progress. If you want progress, especially in the realm of social justice, you have to ascribe to a Tao of some sort. And it doesn't just mean that as society goes forward, we're getting better. Like we have to be able to look at our society and say, there was a time where in the past, we, they did something better than we did. Um, I was actually reading Winston Churchill's History of the English-Speaking People this past year, and he made reference to the murder of Thomas Becket uh, from Henry II uh, when he was king of England. Thomas Becket was a bishop. He was murdered in the cathedral, and all of Europe basically shut down in outrage over the murder of this bishop. King Henry had to go into hiding in Ireland. The Pope, everyone—it was basically like the entire Christendom went into this shocked mourning over the, the killing of this bishop. And Churchill— Uh, made the reference to the fact that uh, he was writing this in the 30s, and he was making reference to the fact that Nazi Germany had been lining up Mm -hmm. bishops in Poland and executing him in the street. And he was saying, like, we should be real careful if we're saying that we are more virtuous and the Middle Ages was more barbarous, because their society basically had a mea culpa uh, and, like, a, a whole big... What are we doing as a people when Thomas Beckett got killed? And we are lining up bishops and shooting them in the street, and no one's really saying anything. So Mm. I think we also need to be able to look back and say there are times in history where that culture and civilization did something better than we did. And we should be able to look back and say there has been improvements because what we're doing now is better than it was back then. Yeah. Yeah. So that's chapter two. That's the Tao. And I know, listeners, this was kind of a heavier episode, maybe. The, you know, philosophy-wise and social-wise, and typically we like talking about old stuff as and then bringing that into the, the modern era. This was maybe a heavy one. If you'd like to further dialogue with us, we are all about that. We we know we said a lot of kind of inflammatory things. We only had, I don't know, what, like an hour-ish yep. to talk about these things. That's probably not enough to dig into the deepest parts of philosophy. Uh, if you want to chat more with us, please, we welcome dialogue. We don't want you to sit angry in your car, hating us without actually talking to us. We'll talk back at you if you send us something. Uh, any last comments, gents? Have we moved on to classical stuff we got wrong? Or are you still on abolition of man right now? I'm I'm good. I think we hit the are end of chomping, the chapter. Chomping at the bit for classical stuff we got wrong. I, 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 this is my man. Oh, that's moment. Yeah. Um, so uh, we had a listener write in and point out that I confused Harold Bloom with Alan Bloom. And when I got that email, I was like, nope, I'm right on this one, and Googled it immediately, and I was very wrong. So, Alan Bloom is the author of The Closing of the American Mind. Harold Bloom is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were talking about Harold Bloom. Were you referencing an article of his? I don't know. Harold Bloom, is a, he's a, he's a classic scholar at Yale, and is probably real upset that you got him confused <laughs> with Alan Bloom. Because I, hope, I hope Harold Bloom is listening. My understanding I mean, of Harold Bloom is that Harold Bloom loves Harold Bloom. <laughs> Does he love Alan Bloom? Um, not as much as he loves Harold Bloom. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'd also recently bought How to Read and Why, which is by Harold Bloom. So I'm blaming that. Uh, also, there is a British horticulturalist named Alan Bloom. Oh, there you so go. Th- maybe I was talking about that. Uh, but that was my classical thing I got wrong. Cool. I'm glad. Yeah. I finally decided to make a mistake. So there you go. <laughs> Very good. Thanks. Um, commonplace? I have one. Yeah, we, we, we got to bring back the commonplace thing at the end here. So this is by G.K. Chesterton in his book, Orthodoxy, which is also very good. He, he writes a little more, man. Uh, it's like drinking espresso. I can only do like <laughs> paragraphs at a time or else it's too rich. Yeah, but he's like here Especially and there and all orthodoxy. over the place. And he yeah. kind of just throws things. C.S. Lewis seems to be very beginning to end logical flow. Chesterton is kind of the same, but he'll bring in all kinds of stuff and I don't all know. Over. It's yeah. more slapdash, yeah. but 
it's, it's brilliant. It's fantastic. So here's one from Orthodoxy, chapter two. He talks about some of this stuff in that book. I recommend it. He says, the modern world is not evil. In some ways, the modern world is far too good. It is full of wild and wasted virtues. When a religious scheme is shattered, as Christianity was shattered at the Reformation, it is not merely the vices that are let loose. The vices are, indeed, let loose, and they wander and do damage. But the virtues are let loose also, and the virtues wander more wildly, and the virtues do more terrible damage. Hmm. Good. Yeah. If you ever Google pictures of G.K. Chesterton, he is a very jolly man. He, he, when you read him, you get the sense that he is just marked with joy and love of God and Christ. But if you ever Google pictures of him, he always looks like he just smelled something rank. Really? <laughs> yeah. So he always has that expression, but he is, in fact, uh, a wonderful person. And I think he's up, he is being considered for sainthood in the Catholic Church. Is he Church. really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Dang. He's been moving, he's been shuffling along on the, the process. So he's got to, I think he's got to do some miracles. Yeah, that's the tough um, one. After, now I that feel like dead, that's the so. big step. Like, you can do a lot of the other stuff, but the so, miracles are Gilbert Keith, one. if you're listening, you know, you got to do your thing. Um, yeah, Chesterton's cool. great. I think both him and Lewis are just through and through Englishmen. Mm-hmm. They're both very British. They're very British. Yeah. Well, this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. If you want to email us, please email us at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. We have been getting better at emailing you back. Um, if you want to Graham, that's Graham who is responding to those emails. We know right? we're all we're all in this together. Okay. If you want to tweet at us, we will like the things you say about us at Cool Stuff uh, at Cool Stuff. Um, C L S S C A L stuff dot um, Twitter. And also, if you if you have ideas of stuff you want us to cover in classical stuff, just tweet at us. Say things like. Talk about Sparta. We're like, all right, we're doing it. <laughs> cool. um, and and then if we don't do it, it's because uh, we don't want to or we don't know anything about it. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> we've, um, we've had some requests for stuff that we just don't know anything about. about. Yeah. You were yeah. like, Ugh. One of them was a really cool idea that we should do stuff about exercise and bodily fitness in the ancient oh, yeah. world. We didn't know anything about and that. I don't know Nothing anything about yet. it. We I are. would love to look it up, but mm. like old... Greek gymnasiums, mm. and it's a really cool notion. We just don't know anything about it. We're sitters by nature, us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so this has been Classical Stuff. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time we podcast. See talk you. at you? Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>